On today's episode, an interview with Cyber Mentor coordinators Hannah Brunston and Holliston Logan to discuss STEAM mentorship and outreach programs. Welcome to Exclusion, a podcast that explores all things equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace. Exclusion is brought to you by Canadian Equality Consulting and Biarg Consulting. Hello, everyone. Alicia and Marcy here. We would like to welcome Hannah and Holly from CyberMentor, which is both an online mentorship and outreach program through the Schulich School of Engineering at the University of Calgary. So welcome. Welcome. And as always, in the spirit of respect, reciprocity, and truth, we acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional territories and oral practices of the Blackfoot Confederacy and Treaty 7 people, including the Siksika, Pikani, Kenai, Sutina, and Stony Nakota First Nations. Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. We acknowledge all nations, Indigenous and non, who live, work, and play on these lands, and to all who assist in their stewardship for generations to come. All right. So CyberMentor, founded in 2001, so happy 20 years, is an online mentorship in science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, so STEAM, outreach program for youth who face barriers to accessing STEAM education. The mentors, who are women, non-binary, and or Indigenous professionals in diverse careers in STEAM, enjoy the experience of being a role model and motivating the next generation of STEAM professionals. Coordinator, Hannah Brunston, has been with CyberMentor since 2019. She has a BA in Women's and Gender Studies with a minor in Drama from the University of Alberta. Hannah is passionate about feminism, social justice education, mental health, arts-based community development, and creating safer communities. When she's not working, you can find Hannah biking, doing arts and crafts projects with her family, or watching stand-up specials on all her favorite streaming platforms. Holliston, or Holly Logan, is CyberMentor's Indigenous Expansion Coordinator. Holly graduated from the University of Calgary with a Bachelor of Science in Psychology. Holly joined the team in 2020 to focus on expanding the Cyber Mentor Program to create a new mentorship and community engagement stream centered on Indigenous knowledge and people in STEAM. As a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta, Holly is passionate about working within her community and supporting Indigenous youth in pursuing their passions in a way that is meaningful and respectful to their own communities and culture. When she is not working, you can find Holly hanging out with her dog, Bertrice, crocheting, listening to true crime podcasts, and hanging out in nature. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. We're so excited to be here. We we love podcasts, so... You know, this is a, a big thrill to be interviewed on one. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, thanks for joining. We're going to get into it a, a little later into your podcast too. But first, let's jump into it with, um, we'd love to hear from you first, sort of why Cyber Mentor was created. I can I can start off and then I think uh, Holly will have a really great perspective because Holly's actually been with the program for a lot longer than I have. Um, but uh, so CyberMentor was created in 2001 by uh, Dr. Elizabeth Cannon, and she had been appointed the chair for women in science and engineering in the Prairie Region for the NSERC, Petro, for NSERC and Petro Canada. Um, and she was also the dean of the Schulich School of Engineering at the time and then went on to be the president of the University of Calgary. And she and uh, so she ended up creating this program as an initiative to address the gender gap in STEAM and to complement other initiatives and programs that were going on in Alberta at the time. Uh, So for example, um, a program that's still happening today is Operation Minerva, which you're probably familiar with, um, which is a one-day job shadowing program in Alberta for those folks who aren't familiar. Um, And basically, 
she wanted to complement these programs by offering a more long-term mentorship opportunity to support young women um, and girls and encourage them to learn more about STEAM careers and be able to uh, really visualize themselves in these careers through having a role model who was engaging, like who was in those kinds of, uh, in that kind of work and had that kind of education. And at the time in 2001, it was like, super hip and fresh uh, to have like an <laughs> online mentorship program. So it really was one of the first of its kind um, to have this online year-long mentoring program for girls who were interested in STEM or STEAM. Um, and this would reach girls outside of just urban regions as well, because a lot of the programs that you can think of that are targeted at uh, marginalized populations and increasing their access to STEM and STEM literacy is like a lot of that is within urban centers. And so it was kind of unique to have this virtual option um, so that more young people would have access to these kinds of programs and have access to those kinds of mentors. I can really attest to that idea that it was revolutionary at the time. I mean, nowadays with all the social media platforms, you know, it doesn't seem quite as out there to find someone online that you really connect with and have that relationship with them. I think, you know, social media has really changed that dynamic for folks. But as Hannah mentioned, I've been I've been with this program for a lot longer than just the year and few months that I've worked here. I actually joined the program a year after it started as a participant. So CyberMentor started in 2001. And in 2002, my sister, who was an engineering student at the time at the University of Calgary, uh, came across the program and thought that it would be something that I re- would really enjoy. So I signed up in grade five and was matched with my first mentor. And we began building a relationship through my Hotmail address at the time, <laughs> an idea of where technology was at. Yeah. Hey, be quiet. I still use a Hotmail account. <laughs> no. I think I just aged myself. No. <laughs> to at least gmail here alicia (laughs) i I do have that too good good we gotta upgrade you (laughs) yeah we'll we'll get we'll get you on tiktok soon (laughs) oh gosh no (laughs) i i remember being you know connected with my first mentor and not really being certain what i was what to expect from the program and the first woman i was matched with is one of my biggest role models to this day, her name is Laura Lucier, and she is actually, I, I don't even know if there's like enough words to describe how amazing she is, but she works for NASA. In her spare time, she, you know, pilots planes, goes on these scuba diving adventures. She was in the last search for astronauts. And me in grade five, um, you know, logging into my Hotmail, starts building this relationship with this wonderful woman named Laura, and we actually stayed matched as mentee mentor for a few years. And I continued with the program up until when I graduated from high school in 2010 and had the opportunity to meet just such amazing women, uh, all pursuing STEAM careers, but all in such different ways and such different stories. And that was really inspirational and motivational when I headed into my university experience, um, because it it not only encouraged me to potentially pursue education careers in STEAM fields, but it also let me know that there's lots of ways of going about it and that it was also okay to, you know, change my career path along the way and, you know, figure out what, how I intersect with STEAM in relation to my own personal story and passions. So since I graduated, I was a mentor with the program on and off for 10 years, you know, just depending on my schedule. And then somehow it came full circle. And in 2020, I ended up working here. So to me, like that's really a testament of the impact that this program can have because I've been connected with it consistently since almost its inception. And I see it still being relevant and impactful for youth today in maybe not necessarily the same way, given the advances in technology, but we've found new and exciting ways to continue uh, the to, to encourage STEAM education and careers. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That's that's an incredible testament to the the impact of of the program for sure. Starting as a mentee, then mentor, and then now working for the organization, super cool. So, I also want to ask a bit about how many youth and sort of mentors have used the program in in sort of twenty years. I imagine that it's pretty big. So I had to go back and dig through some files to find some old annual reports to try to make a, a guess. Um, for how how many like people have been 
connected to the program over the last 20 years. And I think in our, in my estimation, based on some, some old annual reports and then some numbers that I'm familiar with, I'm guessing that we've probably reached over 2,500 young people and connected them with mentors. And now we may have had fewer than 2,500 mentors because some of our mentors have been with the program for, it's it's not uncommon to have mentors who are like, oh, I've been with this program for 10 years plus, um, been with the program since it first started. Um, so we've had a little bit fewer mentors than that. Um, but yeah, we've probably mm-hmm. reached over 2,500 youth with our mentorship program. And then um, calculating the outreach numbers is a little bit harder even so to see how many people we've connected with with our like 20 years of workshops and stuff. But we have reached over 1,500 youth this year alone in our outreach program. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So, yeah, since September, we have been doing a lot of different uh, mm-hmm. virtual outreach programs. Um, and so, and over the years, like, the outreach has just grown, and we've partnered with lots of different organizations and done, like, speakerhead workshops uh, for many, many years. And then partnered with Indigenous Teams Power to Choose Summer Camp and mm-hmm. so doing lots of different things like that. So it's really hard to pin down a possible number, but I think it would be fair to guess like thousands of youth across Alberta and the country um, based on yeah. your loan of 1,500. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. and one of the things that um, became an unexpected opportunity as a result of COVID-19 was in the last year, we've actually been able to expand our outreach programs beyond just our usual focus of Alberta with moving our outreach programs to online means. So our mentorship program has always existed online, but our outreach was typically, you know, in school settings or youth group settings. But with you know, the, the, the new focus on all things virtual, we've expanded our reach of from coast to coast in Canada. Just yesterday evening, we were hanging out with a Girl Guides group out in Newfoundland. And with our Indigenous program, we have seen attendance from Indigenous folks across the United States as well. And every once in a while, we're, we're just, you know, surprised by folks from other countries showing up to our program, which we absolutely love. We never know how the word reaches them, but we're always so happy when it does. That's really cool. What would you say kind of the most common age for mentees participating in our mentorship program, Holly, would you say more high school? Because, yeah, so like 10, 11, 12, because they usually are more focused on, they have specific questions and they they see the value in connecting with a mentor because they, they have to make a decision as to what program they want to take or what high school courses they need to take and are curious about people, like mentors' journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, but with our outreach, we've actually had some great success, grade Six to nine has sort of been our sweet spot. We've had a lot of groups with with grades six to nine, which is pretty fun. And like as young as as young as grade three, they're they're quite cute. Then. Oh, awesome! <laughs> and recently, Hannah and I have also been challenging ourselves to find opportunities for outreach with younger audiences to spark that passion and curiosity for STEAM topics at that young age before a lot of the, you know, misconceptions and biases settle in Mm. that you see develop over time. Um, And over the last few weeks, I've had an opportunity to be a, a guest teacher at some grade one classes, which has been you know, a challenge for us because you have to learn how to talk about what we normally talk about in a little bit of a different manner. But it's also been really fun and exciting just to see the like the true curiosity and excitement yeah. and like the the brilliant and creative and sometimes interesting answers these grade oneers <laughs> come up with when you're talking about STEAM topics. Yeah, I can imagine my little one, my older one, actually, he's in grade one. So that would be pretty funny, I think. <laughs> um Okay, and it would also be great to learn a bit about what challenges has the program faced and what lessons learned do you have for, for other folks or similar programs? It's, I, I kind of wonder also, for instance, for the mentors, like you mentioned, you had a mentor that is in the U.S. and works at NASA. So it sounds like the mentors kind of come from everywhere. And is that a challenge at all, finding mentors, given that, you know, women and Indigenous people, non-binary folks are underrepresented in, in STEM fields? So when I started working for this program in December 2019, that was my main concern. Like I came in and was asking the 
uh, our incredible colleague, um, Allie, who was the coordinator of the program before I was. And I was like, well, like what's member, like what's mentor retention? Like, how do you recruit? And she's like, oh, we actually have no problem recruiting people and we have no problem retaining them, which makes, which like didn't make sense in my brain because I was like, well, like if we have this, like we're lacking women in STEM and STEAM um, and like other folks who are underrepresented. So how can we find these mentors and have them participate in our program? It's actually the opposite issue. We have like one challenge that we're facing right now is being able to recruit young people um, for our mentorship (laughs) program, which I think Holly touched on a little bit uh, as probably the reason why it's a lot easy. Like it's not as novel. Like if you wanted to connect with, like if you knew like you wanted to go, you wanted to be an astronaut, you can go on LinkedIn and like Google people and find out like women in like women at NASA or whatever, and you'd be able to connect with them. So it makes sense that we're, we're struggling, not struggling, but like we're, we're trying to figure out a way to adapt to the fact that I think that a lot of young people don't necessarily need our platform to find people in STEM. Um, I think our platform does a great job of like facilitating that relationship building process and having a more long-term connection. Um, But if you have a question now about like, how do I go into STEM? Like if you're a motivated young person who wants to seek out that kind of information, you're going to be able to find it. Whereas our mentors, I think we have so many men, we probably have like at least double the amount of mentors than we have mentees. I think that's because folks really like our mentors again and again and again, we hear over and over, they really value the program because it's something that they wish that they had seen. So I think even though we're seeing this lack of representation in uh, especially in folks who have been in their careers for a long period of time and could really provide some valuable mentorship, um, even though like there's fewer and fewer women as you go longer and longer along, those women really value and understand the value of connecting with young people and being mentors for young people. And they find it a really valuable experience for them as well. Just to build off what Hannah was saying there, I think one of the lessons that we've been learning and trying to adapt our model to as we better learn and understand it is that with this, you know, high number of mentors who are actively seeking to give back to community and engage with youth, we've been adapting our model of mentorship to focus less on that one-on-one mentorship, even though that is still a core component of our program, and find other ways to engage these mentors in the program so that they're able to have that meaningful opportunity to connect and give back and, you know, share their wisdom and experiences. And and so our mentors are doing more than just the one-on-one mentoring now, but they're also supporting us in community sessions and creating STEAM content and educational resources for others to use. So I think that, you know, the the lessons that we've really taken away as we've seen maybe some adjustments in our numbers of youth registering for the one-on-one mentorship program is that you you don't need to necessarily stay stagnant just because of your model, but you can take that time to adapt your program to the changing world and the changes in technology so that there's still those opportunities for mentors to engage with youth, maybe just through different means. Well, I can definitely say as a STEM mentor myself, one of the benefits of a program like this or others is when you are the only, maybe the only one at your company, the only uh, woman or uh, non-binary person um, in a group, it is also a way of creating community, I would assume. Like this is a way mm-hmm. for to actually help with retention of <laughs> keeping people uh, in the STEM or STEAM professions too. So I think that's really great that you've been able to keep these mentors. Yeah, we're definitely super grateful to all of our mentors who have like been on this journey as as I think any, I think another challenge uh, or like lesson that we've learned uh, in our like year-ish, year and a half of working together uh, with this program is just the flexibility that is required when working with a youth program um, because things change so fast uh, with, especially when working with young people. Um, and so we've had to really focus on how we can be adaptable. And have, I think we've really been challenged to try to work with, uh, like Holly said, not necessarily sticking to the model that was originally created, but trying to really get in, uh, like really dig into the 
spirit of the program and try to figure out what the intention of the program was and how can we live that out and try to provide a program that lives out those values as opposed to trying to stick with the model that we that it started with. And then there's also like other challenges. Like I, I wrote little notes beforehand when you sent us your questions and I was like, mm-hmm. well, like funding is always an issue that any organization faces. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the main things is that like as priorities shift, like our program is one of those sort of like prevention programs where like we're trying to uh, like we're working with like like Holly said, like working with first graders who don't even have, we're trying to prevent that idea that that sort of comes up in grade three or four, that girls and girls and women and gender minorities aren't as good as at science and math and technology. We're trying to do that prevention work to lay the groundwork. And that's like the first thing that gets cut for funding is because it's not like crisis management pro, like funding. It's more like preventative funding and you right. don't necessarily see mm-hmm. the results of that right away. Like it's not just going to mean like Holly does a presentation for first graders and then we see an increase of 50% uh, increase in students the next year at like in X, Y, and Z programs. Um, so that we're, we're definitely in the work of the long haul. <laughs> we're, we're in a long con here with uh, society. <laughs> um, and that is not something that can't like has traditionally ever been steadily funded. Yeah. So that's always challenging. But I mean, again, like something that we've learned is like, we've looked at alternative um, funding opportunities and tried to like apply for grants with project, like try to see, okay, like how can we make this grant? Uh, how can we make a project that'll fit with this, like with maybe this grant that we're interested in and how can we fill like the spirit of cyber mentor and, and make it fit? So I think that's been a really cool challenge for us to, see just how flexible we can be and and how creative we can be with trying to just like stick to our mandate of we want to work with young people and who face barriers to accessing STEAM education. So it's nice and open that we can try to be flexible and creative with that. Hmm. Awesome. And has CyberMentor always used STEAM and instead of STEM? So this sounds like it may be more recent, but um, yeah, what was what was the importance of that adding that A in there? Yeah, I mean, our our shift to using the terminology of STEAM versus STEM only happened in about the last year. And there have been a lot of conversations between Hannah and myself, as well as Hannah and commu- Hannah, myself and community members and uh, members at the Shield School of Engineering and the University of Calgary, where we work through. Um, so it, it was an, an interesting, you know, dynamic to get that shift, but I think it was really important for our program. Hannah, maybe I'll let you talk a little bit about that that shift from STEM to STEAM and why it was so important for us. So I, I'm chuckling to myself over here because I have a, like, I have five different points when I was, like, typing up my thoughts. I have, like, five separate, like, cohesive ideas as to how to answer this question. Cause like Holly said, there were a lot of discussions and it's like hearing Holly say it, it sounds so silly where it's like, wait, you had to have like months and months and months of like consultation and discussion <laughs> just to add one letter into an acronym that, and it's like, well, like this is sort of how Holly and I work with this program is a lot of thought goes into like very small things that you would think would be no big deal. But this was one of the biggest changes that I think Holly and I have made to the program in terms of trying to change the, trying to think about like, what is our program trying to do? And so one of the reasons, uh, my first reason that I have for why it was so important for us to change, to include the A, the arts into our, into our acronym of STEAM instead of STEM is, uh, I have a I have a background in theater and arts-based community development. So I'm always trying to bring arts into everything. So that was like my friend, but I was like, that's not a good enough reason to like go to people and be like, we're changing everything. Like we're doing STEAM, not STEM anymore, because I have to be dramatic about everything. Um, so that was like, I think probably one of the starter things was I was like, I do a lot of art stuff. Like, how can I, how can I like weasel that in? But I think one of the main reasons for us is since STEM for us has never meant science, period, technology, period, engineering, period, and mathematics, period. Um, It's always been the integration of 
science, technology, engineering, and math, and therefore the rejection of the silos of each field, um, and more about the skills and concepts that involve an interdisciplinary approach to addressing real-world problems with these skills and formulas and processes and knowledge, we felt really strongly that we couldn't include the arts from this approach to like science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, And so STEAM to us doesn't mean science, period, technology, engineering, arts, and math. It means, um, and like these separate departments or majors or faculties or fields, but the integration of these skills and ways of understanding the world and approaching problems. So if we think about it, like, There isn't anyone out there who just purely does science or technology. You're always using a combination of these skills and arts for us is really always included in there. And it's really important for us for that to be recognized. And then another side to that, that sort of supported this decision was in discussions with, and we'll have Holly talk about this a little bit later, but with the development of our indigenous community mentorship program, We felt that it would be like really remiss to not acknowledge the ways that Indigenous ways of knowing and approaching knowledge of the universe is to bring together multiple approaches and to resist this siloing of disciplines. And so one cannot like explore science, technology, engineering, and mathematics without also bringing arts and culture because everything's so woven together in an Indigenous way of understanding the world. Another part of our discussion was sometimes we choose to talk about STEM And then we use arts as a way of communicating STEM knowledge or topics in an accessible way. So there could be an argument for sometimes we're like, well, should it be STEM plus A? And I've seen people do that as well. But I think for us, uh, STEAM just, it's just easier Mm -hmm. to say STEAM than STEM plus A. And then we also wanted our program, like if we get back to what I was talking about before about the spirit of the Cyber Mentor Program, the spirit of the program is about embodying inclusion. And so this idea of like exclusion or the division between arts and sciences is like a Western colonial patriarchal capitalist approach to knowledge dissemination and pedagogical engagement, not to get two gender studies up in here. Um, Hey, I go ahead. (laughs) I saw Holly start to like chuckle as I'm like, you know, it's like, this is the colonial patriarchy, like heterosexist patriarchy, you know, like this is, that's what it is. And and we want to embrace like a more interesting, complex, woven together, inclusive approach to thinking about STEM. Um, And that includes like a rejection of this science and arts binary. And then finally, like another thing is if we look at a more traditional view, sometimes this idea of STEM, since it is so male dominated, perhaps an inclusion of the arts is a way of also being um, like more attractive to more people with diverse identities. And, and so by maybe even moving away from this like STEM and bringing in a new STEAM, maybe that's like an invitation for a new way of approaching this whole thing. Holly, do you have anything to add to my five pronged approach to looking at this issue? (laughs) Yeah, just to, um, I mean, you've, you've covered basically most of my thoughts, but I think one of the things that people get hung up on when they're debating STEAM versus STEM is this idea that, well, why are we including arts when we don't see the same gender gap in arts careers? Or why are we including arts when really we're trying to address the barriers of folks pursuing science, technology, engineering, and math? And to me, the the A is non-negotiable because there is art in science, technology, engineering, and math. And similarly, there is science, technology, engineering, and math in arts. And so it, you know, it's going back to that idea that Hannah just mentioned that science and its affiliated friends, technology, engineering, and math um, really are not this binary that are opposing arts, but they all come together. And so by including arts, you're adding new methods of communication, you're being more inclusive of cultural differences in terms of knowledge systems and methodologies and and ways of disseminating information. As well, I think at the end of the day, you know, all of these different areas are really just an expression of community. And in the context of community, everything is interconnected. And that extends to science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And one of the things I've even been trying to advocate for is moving away from this idea that we talk about 
STEM education and careers in terms of STEM professionals. I, you know, obviously there's a lot of weight to, you know, having pursued that professional degree and having those credentials behind your name. But I argue that there are a lot of folks who work not just in arts, but in various community roles that might not necessarily be considered STEM professionals, but STEM is what they do. And their community role greatly intersects with these fields and it intersects with art. So even broadening how we look at STEM education and peoples to not just focus on those who have that professional accreditation behind their name, but those who have you know, that knowledge and actively utilize it in their day-to-day jobs and roles in communities. Thanks so much. Yes, it's, isn't it crazy how traditionally, even in the university level, we've completely put those two against each other and we've gendered them, right? That the, you know, women are in the art side and men are in the STEM side. And I love this uh, more interdisciplinary look and the, just the acknowledgement that STEM is in everything. And I know we, we talk about this all the time um, when we're doing some of our outreach, how um, there's the assumption that we wouldn't work with SATE because the trades don't have STEM in them. Are you kidding me? Isn't that all they are? Is that STEM understanding? And if you look at the trades, there's such a strong artistic component to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it definitely transcends just any one type of education. So so thank you. That's, that's fantastic. And this kind of leads us toward the next set of questions we had, because uh, as we mentioned earlier, CyberMentor has launched a new initiative with, a con- with connecting Indigenous youth and members across Turtle Island, which uh, if those don't know, that's, that's our North America here is Turtle Island. So after 20 years of mentorship, why was it important to expand the program now? And, and what benefits have you had from, from seeing this expansion? Yeah, I mean... I I could talk about this all day long, like my day job, because it is my day job. Um, But I think where I want to start is with actually that that question of why is it important to expand this program and do it now and kind of counter that with the question of why wasn't this already a focus and already included in the program. So I think when it comes to, you know, expanding the CyberMentor program, it's really about, you know, reclamation of knowledge systems that have been historically oppressed and devalued and um, deemed inferior as a result of colonization and capitalism and industrialization. So to, to me, you know, all of these programs are residing on the, the the traditional territories of Indigenous peoples. And what I was taught through my community and my elders is that all of our knowledge stems from the land. There is a deep level of interconnectedness between all relations, not just humans to humans, but humans to plants and animals and water and air and the universe and you name it, we're connected to it in one way or another. And Indigenous knowledge systems um, in simplest terms are really about, you know, monitoring and recording and communicating and that deep understanding of all of these relationships. And that is kind of like the the fundamentals of STEM is, is understanding these relationships and how we can leverage them to continue to um, ha- advance society, but do so in a reciprocal way where we're also, you know, caring for everything around us as though it's our relatives. So the the inclusion of our uh, Indigenous knowledge-based programs and our new community outreach programs that focus on Indigenous peoples and knowledge and in STEAM is really something that should have already existed. And by us adding it in now, I think the the reason it's happening now is because mainstream society is finally waking up to these like realities that Indigenous peoples have already and always known. And so it's become, I don't know, kind of like the right time to do it because institutions like universities and um, are are finally like ready to, I guess, I don't know, in- challenge their colonial paradigms and challenge their beliefs. And so we're, we're fortunate enough that, you know, finally there's funding and finally there are opportunities for this to happen in a way that um, community can be properly engaged and consulted and a part of the process. And rather than having to create these programs just, you know, because they should exist. 
I'm kind of rambling now, Hannah, because I have so many thoughts on this. So maybe bring me back. Why, why else are we adding this program? I think that's so funny because when I first saw this question, I had the exact same, I just think it's so funny. We didn't even talk about it and we had the exact same response because my response was like, it's actually a bit of a shame that the program is just starting this now. Mm-hmm. Um, although I would, I, I mean, we could argue that um, like we have had Indigenous mentors and we have always had Indigenous participants in our program, but we didn't have the framework to be able to really center those experiences and and really meaningfully be able to look at not just the gender gap, but the ways that lots of populations face barriers in accessing STEM and STEAM education and, and careers and the, the knowledge and the community and the status that's associated with that. So yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. Just I think one of the things that I would add is that Holly won't give herself like won't throw herself a party for like how amazing (laughs) she is because like the reason that this program is able to happen now is because Holly has been working so hard and so thoughtfully and like in relationship with community and has put her whole self into this program and being able to come in as a young indigenous woman and come in and say like, this is how we need to be doing it. And we are so lucky that the space that we've been in has been receptive to that. And so being able to, like the reason that we have this important program is because Holly has been able to be this like beautiful leader of the program to be able to to get it off of its feet and like into the community's hands. And so I think that's why it's just like, so I think that's why it's all come together now. And hopefully we'll like, will sort of kick the program into being again that like extremely like cutting edge progressive inclusive program because I think that the way that her programming has really centered community and centered indigenous knowledge and ways of knowledge paradigms and ways of understanding the world has really I think shaken up some some people's way of thinking and it's been really beautiful to watch. You're gonna make me blush Hannah (laughs) but I am I do find it interesting that, you know, we were talking earlier about how we've been challenging ourselves to adapt our model and move away from, you know, just the one-on-one mentorship and rethink how we can engage folks in different mentorship opportunities in a more communal context. And what's interesting is as Hannah and I have been working on, you know, our current season and our next season of programming, as well as some some planning for however many years this program runs for down the line. Uh, what we've really come to understand is that this Indigenous program we're creating, you know, even though it's grounded in an Indigenous worldview and the, the focus right now is on, you know, reducing those barriers for Indigenous youth and encouraging them to pursue STEAM education and careers. Really, this is the model that we envision supporting the program as a whole, if it's going to have that longevity and have that continuation for years to come. So we really want to see, you know, the different programming that we run, even though, you know, it might have different topics at the center of it or different focuses really all come under this same model and same approach that centers community. Because at the end of the day, from my own perspective, an Indigenous worldview is for everyone because it's really about, you know, rerouting your knowledge in relationships and rerouting your knowledge in the land and recognizing that level of interconnectedness. So even if you're not Indigenous, I I would argue that an Indigenous worldview is likely for you as well, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all connected to a land base somewhere. Most of us have just, you know, been removed from our land bases from years and years of colonization and capitalism. I was going to say capitalization, but that's not quite what I was going for. And, you know, globalization and migration around the world. So it's, I think that a lot of folks are maybe hesitant to explore that Indigenous worldview at first because the the years and years of colonial beliefs have created this false narrative that it's a knowledge system that is lesser than or uh, it's not as valid or it's not as rooted in process and uh, that ability to replicate and validate information when really all of this does exist in Indigenous knowledge systems. It just takes a different form. And oftentimes that form is orality, language, and arts, which we've seen historically excluded from STEM topics. So now that we're bringing that back in and aligning it all together, it's really bringing forward that idea that all of this scientific knowledge 
exists in Indigenous peoples, cultures, and communities, and it's always been here. And you'll often hear people say the, something like, you know, Western science is just catching up to our knowledge. And that's because the, the process of coming to understanding is very different between the two worldviews. And so if we can help to bridge that gap for folks and give them tools of how to come to understand and know through various means, I think we'll see that, you know, there's a lot of alignment between these knowledge systems and we don't need to see this like battle between them because there's a lot of space for them to work well together and build like a stronger future. I just want to add one more thing to this because I, I think what works so well about what this program has done is that in previous years, I think our program was really focused on representation and sort of just let's just get the representation in there. Let's get the girls to go into scene. But what this program does is that it centers the fact that it's like, it's not just about representation. It's about valuing. It's about really valuing the whole community and the whole individual that's going to be going in and contributing to STEM. So it's not that like we have to bring people into STEM. It's that we have to let people show up in STEM the way that the way that they are and bringing their whole self to that. Um, and I think that that's what's so, I think that's been a huge shift for us is thinking about not just about the fact that we're just going to like, we just need to, what I like to call the add women in stir, which is like, I think an older approach um, because that hasn't worked that like, we still see women leaving the field because they are the only ones or they don't, the policies and practices within their organizations are not supportive of them and don't value who they are. And whereas this program isn't about just like, how can we prepare girls and women to go into this field so that they can hopefully like be one of the ones that succeed. Whereas this program is like, how can we radically shift the way that we look at the STEAM community and be like, you're going to bring your whole self to it. And we're going to value all the different ways that we come to this kind of knowledge and this is accessible for everyone. So I think that's like one of the lessons that we've learned together is that it's now time for moving beyond discussions of representation, but talking about like, what is it that we're missing when we don't get to bring everyone to this steam table? Um, and I think that's what I really, really love about that. I think that's really great because if you think about the traditions of STEM and just how we've structured STEM over the past, it has been very individualistic, right? It's about the scientist, what can the scientist accomplish or um, everything has to be about or go around the one person, right? Like history shows that even the traditional men that were the scientists usually had wives at home that were, were helping them do their work, right? Like, um, I think there was a hashtag a couple of years ago about like, who wrote the thesis? Who typed it up, right? So science has been missing this. So I think it's so great that to teach the children and to teach the next generation from the beginning that, that science STEAM is can be collective it can be collaborative it should be collective and collaborative and that we work better bringing our whole selves as opposed to only using one little part of our brains or one little part of who we are so i, th I think this is really fantastic and I'm, I'm happy i'm sad that it took so long but i'm happy that um it shows you how when we when we include people and we include different ways of being and knowing uh, that we can rechange, that we can change and you can advance some of the thought patterns. So, so I'm really excited to watch how you guys do with this and where it goes with this. And I do think there's a lot of structure that can come from other, for other groups. And yeah, we have to stop just adding women in stir or adding racialized people in stir. That's not, doesn't do anything to the greater understanding, right? It's, just, it's not enhancing knowledge creation, advancement in technologies and innovations. So, so yeah, this is really exciting. And it kind of leads into my next question of, we now know we have the Cyber Mentor and we have um, this new programming through for Indigenous youth. And I believe the Indigenous youth actually it's expanded to who it's supporting as well, right? Like you actually go from, you include people who are traditionally already the mentors or actually we're understanding that there's a very long time that we still need to be mentoreed. So yeah, absolutely. We um 
I'm all about breaking down those hierarchies and recognizing that there's there's knowledge to be learned from everyone. And just because you have seniority in terms of chronological age doesn't mean that you don't have things to learn from younger members of society as well. So with our community um, programming approach, we we don't just, you know, seek out presentations from STEM and STEAM professionals, but we're also looking for knowledge from community members, knowledge from elders. And we also have presentations from youth as well, sharing about, you know, their their passions in the area or maybe summer work they've done or just their their own personal research and learning journey. And it's really an interesting way to spark conversation and recognize that everybody has their own skill set and knowledge to bring to the table and ways of looking at things and that we need to take that time to listen to everyone around us, not just those that are older than us, but, and also even extending that listening to, listening to the plants and the lands and the animals. And I feel like that's definitely a part of STEM that has been lost in this Western worldview is that recognition that, you know, we're, we're not greater than the earth or greater than anything around us. We are, we're here to have a reciprocal relationship with it and recognize that it takes care of us as much as we take care of it. And so taking that time to even, you know, step outside our comfort zones in terms of who and what we're learning from. Fantastic. And so let's, let's go into some of the other programming because there's also the, the podcast. So uh, tell us a little bit about that and maybe where we can find it and, um, and what people can learn from listening. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so last summer, we launched a podcast called Full Steam Ahead, just because, you know, we wanted to try something new. It was early in the pandemic, and it was looking like it might be around for a little bit longer. So like, let's see what let's see what we can try. And, uh, we really also wanted to try to fulfill this new mandate that we had made to raise awareness about the importance of equity, diversity, and inclusion in STEAM. And we figured like, why not try a podcast? We both love listening to podcasts, Holly, more true crime, me, more feminist Harry Potter literary critique. Um, but, uh, you know, like, let's, let's just, let's just see how, how this goes. And so we decided to so start. Wait, I have to ask, there's feminist, tell me what my daughter would love to hear this. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a few like feminist literary Harry Potter pod, like critique podcasts, um, which please phenomenal podcast, truly amazing. Uh, all about it's two like they call themselves like two lady scholars uh who met at you like who were at U of A and then uh one of them's at Simon Fraser now um but they break down like book by book movie by movie and they're just back for their they've like totally reinvented their whole series because they've just been picked up by um the group that does Harry Potter and the Sacred Text where they read chap- where they read through Harry Potter and treat it as though it's a sacred text and use like sacred reading practices on it it's awesome. In case you haven't caught on, Hannah is a big Harry Potter fan. I, I like to think very deeply about Harry Potter. I'm not just one of those like fair weather fans, if you will. I want to get into the nitty gritty about how like representations of squibs is like a stand in for disability. Um, anyway, very interesting. Where was I? That's fantastic. Thank you. So, yeah. No. So where do we find that podcast? So you can find that podcast wherever wherever podcasts are sold for free. Um, so we launched it on Anchor and our podcasts feature conversations that are open, honest, and vulnerable about diversity, gender, identity, and the STEAM community. And each season we focus on a different STEAM field. So last season we uh, focused on engineering and had some really awesome conversations with lots of different folks with who like are somewhere in the engineering community. And then this season we're exploring health sciences, healthcare and medicine. Um, And we have some really awesome guests this season around too. So like Apple podcasts, Google play, Um, we loaded on anchor and it goes to like seven different ones. And I'm like, yay, interwebs. I don't know how it works. (laughs) Yeah. And um, obviously we love podcasts because we're actually going to be launching a second and different podcast in July. Um, But this one is a, a little bit different from Full Steam Ahead. So this new podcast initiative that we have, it's going to be titled Our Home in the Skies. And this is actually a collaborative podcast between CyberMentor, the Rothney Astrophysical Observatory, which is also a University of Calgary affiliate, um, as well as two not-for-profit organizations 
organizations in Digisteam and migration arts. So we're, we're really excited to be launching our first episode in early July, and you'll be able to find all of the links to that on the Migration Arts website, which will be the home for the podcast. And I can definitely provide that link. Oh, that would be great. Well, thank you so much. I, we've been talking so great that we're kind of running out of time. So <laughs> I've definitely taken down some free, a few key um, topics or takeaways from this. And, and um, I want to key on some of the lessons learned that, that over 20 years from Cyber Mentor and just specifically in how you yourself have changed over time and it's okay for programming and for um, movements to change over time. None of this is static, which I think is fantastic. And I love that CyberMentor and other groups are taking the lessons learned from the past and realizing that we can't just add women in stir, for example, and that we are, that you're trying to, we never got a chance to talk about intersectionality, but really that's all we've been talking about this whole, tr- this whole time is intersectionality and the importance of that because if we're not if we're not looking at intersectionality we're not bringing our full selves to anything that we do so the fact that cyber mentor based their very structure on that is fantastic and um, the lessons learned that community is important and that this is community and another way of retaining is to create community and that I believe in STEM, that's what's been missing for a lot of women for the whole time is that they haven't had community. So not only are you creating community for women, you're creating an intersectional community, which is building on each other. And um, I think that's really great. And I actually signed up to be a mentor last week. So I, I don't that. know why I didn't do that before. So <laughs> well, welcome to the community. Welcome to the family. So yes, so thank you so much for your time today. And we will look forward to seeing what comes out of Cyber Mentor and the University of Calgary in the future. And maybe we can have you on again, and you can tell us even more about what you've learned. And, and maybe sometime we can come on your podcast too, and talk about something which would be fun as well, then you can ask us the questions. Yeah, well, thank you both so much. Um, To our listeners, don't forget to check out the resources section of the podcast to find the references for this episode. And once again, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Buzzsprout. Please hit subscribe to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, let's continue the conversation. Let us know what you think. Send us questions on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, bye. Bye. Bye.